this this really puts the nail in the coffin of any argument that you can't sing the Psalms because they don't rhyme in English. You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, it is The Worship Review, your favorite podcast, which charitably and critically and collectively analyzes songs sung in the Christian church. My name is Tyler. I am a linguist, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Colin. I'm Colin. I'm the other half of the collective, a collective of two. I am a former worship leader in a variety of different kinds of churches, did so for quite some time, I don't know, like 20 years almost or something like that. And I am now a history professor at a large research university in the Midwest of the United States. We have the pleasure this week of reviewing not only a song, but one based off of a psalm. So we're taking a look at Matthew David Montgomery's version of Psalm 16. It's called Psalm 16D because it is listed that way in the blue Psalter, uh, the Psalms for Singing, put out by Crown and Covenant uh, Publications. Besides you, I do not possess any good in your holy messengers. I take delight. Uh, and this version of Psalm 16D is not like what you would find in a church that sings from the Blue Psalter because there are instruments. It opens notably with uh, violin and there's a guitar and there's even a big cymbal roll and a cymbal crash. Uh, this version features Jeremy Casella, a singer-songwriter as well. And uh, Colin, you and I um, both know probably more about Matthew David Montgomery than your average listener, just because he came and played a show at our church recently. So we got to know him a little bit that way, uh, but we're not endorsed by him or, you know, being paid by him or anything like that to do this episode. It's just for full disclosure, uh, we did meet him in person. Yeah. And I think that's probably the reason why we find ourselves talking about this song, because it's not like Matthew David Montgomery is on the level in terms of sheer popularity of somebody like, I don't know, Hillsong or Chris Tomlin or something like that. But this is a series on excellent songs that we have been doing. And I don't know, this psalm, this song is, is in my view, an excellent song. And I have had the chance to listen to Matthew David Montgomery's entire uh, collection of psalms, which he's got an album of psalms. And it's phenomenal. It's it's not the type of psalms that you would see sung in a, say, Orthodox Presbyterian church or a Reformed Presbyterian church or one of the other types of denominations that sings the psalms without instrumentation. But it is nevertheless a beautiful rendering of Psalm 16 that I think is worth discussing on the podcast. Yeah, and you, you added in the the qualifier, nevertheless, I think there are probably plenty of listeners who would not consider, you know, nonconformity with the regulative principle to be an yeah. all. 
Yeah, and that and then that quite a um, quite a restrictive right because there are regulative principles and then there are regulative principles. Right? <laughs> yes, there are lots of churches that uh, conform uh, in theory to the regulative principle of worship, and that can mean a lot of different things. So. Uh, just to be clear, I'm going to give a quick definition of this so we're not leaving out any listeners. The regulative principle of worship, this is just from Wikipedia, is a Christian doctrine held by some Calvinists and Anabaptists that God commands churches to conduct public services of worship using certain distinct elements affirmatively found in Scripture, and conversely, this is important, that God prohibits any and all other practices in public worship. So there's this kind of double nature to the regulative principle. We do that which is commanded, and we do not do anything which is not uh, commanded. Everything else is, you know, implicitly forbidden. Right, and uh, so... And some churches will do this, but not use the language of the regulative principle. I was hanging out with some friends this weekend that are, a a couple of them are part of a very different church tradition than I am a part of and wouldn't use that language. And nevertheless, it sounds like the way that they do a church service, they really try to emphasize what is happening in scripture and, and try to regulate their service based on what God expressly calls for in scripture. And they have a pretty restrictive view on any types of worship or aspects of the service that are outside of those boundaries. And it was just interesting to hear this described to me from a people who are not in the reformed tradition whatsoever, but nevertheless kind of arrived at the same idea. Now that is interesting. That is interesting. Well, I will share an anecdote from meeting Matthew David Montgomery, um, or not really from meeting him, but actually he announced this, you know, publicly from the stage when he was giving a performance. So I think it's fair game to talk about on the podcast, but he mentions how he got interested in the Psalms. And he said he went to, uh, this college that had chapel daily. And at this college, they were singing some Psalms. Uh, he didn't notice that they were all, you know, exclusively Psalms at that point. And so he said he enjoyed the music and went up to the, uh, the man at the front of the room at the end of the service and said, hi, you know, my name's Matthew. I play the guitar and I'd like to help out with the music around here. And <laughs> the guy said, know, this apparently the, the pastor laughed and said, uh, well, we should have a conversation then. And then at that point he found out that not only did they, uh, not seeing anything that wasn't from a Psalter. A Psalter is just a hymnal full of Psalms that are set to music and meter. Uh, but they, they also don't do any instruments either. And so, uh, he just had, it was just a really funny <laughs> anecdote that he shared. Um, because, you know, the answer is no, but <laughs> still really cool that you, that you mentioned that. So, uh, with that being said, why don't we jump into the lyrics here, Colin? Preserve me, O God, for I'm trusting in you. Yes, you are my master, I said to the Lord. Besides you, I do not possess any good. In your holy messengers, I take delight. Preserve me, O God. For I'm trusting in you. Yes, you are my master, I said to the Lord. Besides you, I do not possess any good. In your holy messengers, I take delight. Yeah, so this is very close to 
verses 1, 2, and 3 of Psalm 16. Preserve, this is the ESV. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. This rendering of the psalm by Matthew David Montgomery sticks very close to the, you know, the biblical version. It's there's really no significant changes in terms of meaning. There are a few words that are moved around, so like instead of saying you are my lord, uh you are my master is what is said in the Matthew David Montgomery version. Verse 3 is truncated a little bit, but not in any way that that messes with the meaning. So this is already a very faithful rendering of what the psalm says. And what the psalm says is quite beautiful. It asks for God to preserve the individual um, because God is the is God is the refuge for the for the psalmist and God is his master. And I quite like this too, I have no good apart from you. So there is nothing good in the psalmist. He recognized that his goodness comes from God as well. And that God then, uh, or, or and then the psalmist also delights in those people that are set apart in the holy ones, or as the ESV puts it, as in the saints. So it's not only a faithful rendering of scripture, but it is a beautiful set of verses to begin singing. Yeah. And it really sets up this, I mean, it opens with a plea and then it sets up the basis for all of this trust in the Lord that we'll, we're going to see throughout the psalm in that he is really focused on uh, trusting in his master and delighting in the things that his master delights in, like holy messengers or the saints in the land. Um, and I think we can even infer because he says, beside you, I possess no good or without you, I have no good. Um, that even those saints in the land, th- those are, uh, those are made holy. Those are made saints. Those are made good by the Lord's good pleasure. So then we get to the next line, which will tell us about people who are not good. <laughs> <laughs> I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I confess their vain names with my lips. The Lord's my inherited portion and cup. Those running to idols will multiply griefs. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood. Nor will I confess their vain names with my lips. The Lord's my inherited portion and cup. So the scripture is very close here too. The sorrows of, this is verse 4 and 5. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Um, although I guess that will begin the next the next stanza. So the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. This might seem strange to sing. This th- it's lines like this that uh, and many other lines in the Psalms that often cause the people who say, "Oh, wouldn't it be great if we sang Psalms?" And then they start getting to Psalms and they're like, well, "What what are we supposed to do with this?" It's weird in church, maybe to sing. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood or something like that. That just sounds kind of macabre, but. 
I don't know. It's it's not actually that weird. It's a it's a way of saying I'm not going to participate in the worship of idols like those people around me. And although we don't sacrifice blood in the you know, we don't have a lot of pagans going out and offering profane sacrifices of blood or or drink offerings. It's good to remember the forms of resistance to idolatry that have come before us for thousands of years that and that by um, refusing to join in whatever the modern forms of idolatry in the present are, we are standing with the the peoples, the holy ones, the saints that God delights in that we read about in verse three. So I would not let language like this in a psalm stop you from singing it. This is a great adaptation of a psalm, which sticks very, very closely to it. And okay, maybe you can explain that before you sing the psalm, but this is God's word. And it is telling us something that the psalmist did, and it's telling us a thing, uh, it's giving us an example of a principle that we can continue to live by. Yes. Love that commentary, Tyler. That is very thorough. I really, you know, your your comments were so (laughs) thorough. It's hard for me to even... Yes. (laughs) Ditto. It is objectively morally bad to worship idols. Uh, But this also gets at some of the natural consequences of idol worship and idolatry in that their sorrows are going to multiply for idol worship. Uh, And so there's there's this interesting um, thread current through this that blessing flows to the one who worships the Lord. Um, but it all is packaged because we had that preface on the there being no good apart from the Lord, that this is all, um, that none of this is something that the psalmist earns or that the saints in the land earns. And when we talk about the idolatry of our present day, I mean, I think there are even some people who might make the regulative principle an idol uh, themselves and who would, you know, teach uh, their uh, traditions. Um, I I do think that the regular principle has scriptural basis. So I, I don't think that, you know, it would be uh, problematic for anyone to implement this, yeah. but I think there are people. Yeah, we're both fans, I think. Definitely. But I think there are people who, you know, would emphasize it over the words of scripture or something like that, if there were ever some kind of tension there. I And I, I like that the um, the portion and the cup of this psalmist is the Lord himself. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. So, it's a nice turn after just talking about pouring out drink offerings. Yes. Is that I will drink from this cup, this good cup. Exactly. Yeah. You care for my lot where the lines fell to me, my pleasant and lovely inherited land. The Lord who gives counsel to me, I will bless. For surely my mind teaches me through the night. You care for my lot where the lines fell to me, my pleasant and lovely inherited land. The Lord who gives counsel to me, I will bless. For surely my mind teaches me through the night. So that's another stanza that is very, very close to what exists. So we're looking at what I guess you might call 5B, and then all the way through verse 7. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. 
in the night also my heart instructs me. And I think what is being referred to here is there was a period of time in Israel's history where God spoke to them through drawing of lots, um, through through um, kind of some some specifically and limited prescribed kind of augury type um, uh, mechanisms. And so I think this is just a way of saying that fate, my fate, is in the hands of God. So, and and the and when when it's my turn to do something or when I'm selected to do something, um, God has ordained that, and He has ordained that for my good. And uh, and then of course um, reflecting on His inheritance, which I think you could take a few different ways. You could take this as uh, an earthly inheritance, the the pleasure and joy that comes from following the path of God while we live, but also the inheritance that we have um, in the next life as well. And then he also speaks about God providing counsel um, even in the nighttime. So we are resting at night and we are not laboring, and yet God is still active and giving us uh ideas and inspiration and helping us in the night um, through through our heart through our feelings through uh through our thoughts and that sort of thing yeah maybe even in dreams um to get mystical or anything like that but well it's it's again that's scriptural i would say that that's probably not normative like we shouldn't all ex- expect to hear from god via dreams but clearly that happens in scripture it happens to god's people so we shouldn't preclude it yeah and i think speaking to us in dreams doesn't necessarily mean audible anything i every night when i put my kids to bed i pray that god would give them good dreams and that yeah me too bless them in that way that they would you know whether it's about him or about you know, frolicking in a meadow that they have, that they you know, <laughs> sure. they have peace in their sure. dreams. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the one who follows the Lord does have peace uh, in his soul. I think when I read this, um, especially actually when I read this um, 16D version of the psalm. So if, yeah, if we look at the psalm, right, the Lord is my chosen portion of my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And we look at Psalm 16D, this third stanza, where the lines fell to me, my pleasant and lovely inherited land. I wondered if this is going back to Joshua. And, you know, David is from the tribe of Judah and the 12 tribes of Israel are allotted land by lot and they enter the promised land. And so it is literally, I mean, there are definitely figurative interpretations we can draw from our inheritance, but they literally inherit specific chunks of this new territory uh by lot from the lord and i wonder if that may have been on david's mind as he was writing uh these words that you know he you know he's in the south he's in the he's in the kingdom of judah or or allotted that land by inheritance this has me also this stanza has me thinking of psalm one that uh um on god's law uh the blessed man meditates uh day and night in this the lord gives counsel to me and he teaches me in the night so i think we can even infer um the lord teaching us might not even necessarily be something which we're completely passive in but that we might even you know indulging in um scripture reading uh yeah it as well wake up in the middle of the night feeling restless and decide to pray or read some scripture absolutely the lord 
Lord ever present before me I keep he stands at my right hand I shall not be moved my glory rejoices my heart is made glad and also my flesh will live safely at ease then we have uh, stanza four which covers verses eight and nine the Lord ever present before me I keep, he stands at my right hand, I shall not be moved. My glory rejoices, my heart is made glad, and also my flesh will live safely at ease. So this is verses 8 and 9, as Tyler said, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. A really nice set of lines which describes God preserving and protecting. So there was a question, or there was really a, a kind of evocative statement at the beginning of this psalm, a, a cry, preserve me, O God. And we seem to see David, the psalmist, realizing that God is preserving him. So he says that God is present before him, that God is standing at his right hand, this prevents him from being moved, as the song says, or shaken, as we read in Scripture, and that this allows him to rejoice, to be glad, and in his body, in his flesh, to live at ease. So it's a kind of um, reward. Knowing that God preserves him brings him a sense of comfort and peace and allows him to enjoy the moment that he's in and kind of rest in the moment that he's in. It's amazing to me how close this is to scripture. I mean, I feel, I would, if you are trying to sing the words of scripture, apart from literally re reading the Bible and just making up a melody, I don't think you could do better than singing this. And by the way, I think from what I, from what I can tell, I don't have the CD liner notes in front of me, but this melody is actually not written by Matthew David Montgomery. I believe it is written by one Don McCrory, uh, who may actually be still alive. This In the Psalter, it says he was born in 1956, and it doesn't list a date of death. So maybe he's still around. Mine says 1952, but yeah, possibly, yeah. Oh, interesting. Definitely. Yeah, what, wait, what edition do you have? I have an older edition, maybe. I have the fifth printing, 2011. <laughs> I have the third printing, 2009. Oh. Okay. So they obviously had his birthday wrong. He was actually older than they thought. Don McCrory wrote in and said, hey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The other thing I love about this is um, he, he gains this, the psalmist gains this incredible stability and uh, d determination uh, from having the Lord set always before him. And then he talks about these three different uh, things which uh, flow from that. So uh, his heart is made glad his whole being or his glory rejoices and his flesh is safe his flesh dwells secure so even just his earthly his earthly body curious note here uh, i had in verse seven we read in the night my heart instructs me and the esv includes this very helpful uh if peculiar footnote 
that uh, the Hebrew there is my kidneys instruct me. And so, <laughs> I, you know, my innards, <laughs> my my inner being uh, instructs me, but it just is it's just funny. Okay. And then we have the final verse, Colin. I, I'm curious to see where this goes. For you'll not abandon my soul to the grave. Your godly one, you will preserve from decay. Life's path, you will show me. Full joy is with you. Your right hand holds pleasures for me evermore. All right. Uh, very Again, almost I mean, very, very close to what's in verses 10 and 9, or 10 and 11 of Psalm 16. For you will not abandon my soul to shale, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So I suppose one difference is that verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to shale, which is what it says in Scripture, um, at least in the ESV, whereas the psalm, the rendition of the psalm that Matthew David Montgomery sings renders that as the grave. That doesn't bother me too much. Uh, Sheol, I mean, there, there are some different ideas about what exactly that means, but I think the broadest reading of Sheol, the least controversial reading that I think most people could agree on is something like the grave or death something like that. Hades, potentially, if, you, if you're if you in the Septuagint, I imagine that this is translated Hades. I don't have it in front of me, but I imagine that's what Greek would say. So, you know, the 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 realm of the dead, you know, the place, actually, place of dead people. I have to interrupt you there just because it's funny that you mentioned that because in Acts 2, Peter is giving a sermon at Pentecost and he actually uses Hades in verse 27 of Acts 2 when quoting this psalm. Oh, even if that's okay. not what's in the Septuagint, that's what Peter says. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's that. And then, yeah, the rest of this is just describing. So after having described God providing joy and rest and preservation kind of in this life, there's this stanza where the psalmist realizes and and proclaims that God is also going to preserve his soul. So he asks to be preserved in a it, it, just in a general way at the beginning of the psalm, and he gets it. He gets preservation in both his body and then preservation in his soul as well. And so he will not decay. And that's an interesting line too, because the body does decay. Right, the, the the after death, the body will decay. So this seems to me, I would consider this to be referencing the soul that that his soul will be preserved. And then, of course, we know from what is said in the New Testament that actually our bodies also will be resurrected. So it may be that David didn't even fully understand the words that he was writing down and singing. He, he may have understood this, but maybe not. But we certainly do that 
part of our preservation in Christ is to have our soul preserved and our body redeemed and restored. Yeah, and one thing that's not that's not audible, but it's visible if you read it, is your godly one is capitalized in version of the Psalter. Yes, so we have yet another meaning. Yeah, and so uh, just to second what you're saying, Colin, I'm just going to keep reading from Acts 2. Okay. (laughs) Beginning in verse 29, continuing with Peter's uh, um, sermon at Pentecost, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. And he goes on from there. But yeah, clearly David, this psalm is doing that thing, and actually Peter in Acts 13 um, gives a very similar uh, sermon as well, mentioning this. Uh, psalm, uh, but this is doing what this psalm is doing that thing that psalms do, uh, sometimes where it's speaking on three levels at once, uh, where it's okay, this is about, um, this is clearly about David. Oh, but this is also clearly about the Messiah, but also it's clearly relevant for my life now, too, where it's, it's like, you know, when, when we sing, you will not let your godly one see corruption, we're thinking, oh, yeah, well, David did die. Uh, but in Christ, he'll be uh, resurrected. Uh, Christ did not see corruption because his body was resurrected on the third day. And one day, uh, whether I am taken from this life uh, while still alive or die myself, I will uh, be resurrected into a glorified body. So kind of cool <laughs> to put it mildly understatement of the year. It's kind of cool. And I wondered if you were at John Piper's church recently. I wonder if this, your right hand holds pleasures for me evermore. Because I remember reading in Desiring God, he just was marveling at this verse, the end of Psalm 16. Yeah, no, we didn't have anything on this. And John Piper didn't preach. And to be fair, it was just uh, one of the campuses of this mega uh, conglomeration that is now John Piper's uh, church thing. We might say, which isn't his anymore. But yeah, so I was at one of the campuses this weekend. The sermon was very, very good, though. It was on uh, Philippians chapter 3, and it was wonderful. Very nice. Okay, well, it almost seems trite to rate this song. <laughs> well, there, there, are, there could be versions that are done poorly. I remember we haven't done it on the podcast, and maybe we will at some point. Maybe we'll do like... Uh, Well, who knows what we'll do, but let me just put it this way. Uh, I remember hearing a version of Psalm 23 that was called Psalm 23, and it was performed in a church that uh, it was led in a church that I was a part of. And I remember hearing it. And at the end of it, I thought, that's not Psalm 23. They left out several verses Mm -hmm. and they were really critical verses, which helped explain the meaning of, of some of the more superficially poetic parts of Psalm 23, like the Lord is my shepherd. That's okay. It's a beautiful thing, but there's the song, the Psalm explains more about what that means than just that. And so there, there are ways to do Psalms and renditions of Psalms that would not necessarily provide a five out of five rating. This, however, is not one of those times. This was done very, very well. I think this rendering is virtually identical to the scripture such that apart from just making some things uh, work in the meter, 
and you know simplifying a little bit of language this is a great rendition of psalm 16 it's a beautiful melody very very singable i think any church could do this psalm and would really benefit from it if you are thinking about introducing the singing of psalms in any way into your church and if you have listened to this podcast you know that we are advocates of putting as much scripture in your service as possible this is this is like a gateway song right that so so use use this song and see what happens because you may find that you want to do more psalms after you do this psalm yeah absolutely so i'm happy to give it a rating let me just make clear. When we say we're going to give it a rating, we are giving Psalm 16D by Matthew David Montgomery from Correct. the Crown Covenant Psalter a rating, and obviously not the 16th Psalm in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah, we, we wouldn't do anything pretentious like give our approval to Mary, <laughs> Mother of Jesus, or Martin Luther. No, no, no. We wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Colin, what do you give this uh, version of this uh, psalm? Yeah, this is a five out of five for me, and I'm going. Uh, I'm going to give it five out of five tech tips, because if you go to Matthew David Montgomery's YouTube channel, this is how sm- this is how this. I don't mean this is an insult, but this is kind of how small time Matthew David Montgomery is. Is that his YouTube channel includes his his music, but he's also clearly like a home studio person. And so he occasionally, some of his videos are like, here's me demoing a, a piece, of, piece of equipment, or here's me explaining how something works or whatever. So it's just kind of funny, funny to see that. That's pretty cool. Tech tips. Tyler, do you have a rating for the song? I am going to give this five out of five rhymes because, Colin, were you aware that this song doesn't rhyme? I wasn't. In fact, I almost <laughs> said a couple minutes ago that the song was put to rhyme. And then I had to, th- I like was thinking about it as I was saying the sentence. And I was like, actually, it doesn't rhyme, but it works. It works so well. And I think this, this really puts the nail in the coffin of any argument that you can't sing the Psalms because they don't rhyme in English. You know, they may have sounded good in Hebrew, but they don't rhyme in English. When, when it's done well, uh, the rhyming is completely uh unnoticeable or not yeah. or lack thereof and this psalm is just great even though nothing rhymes um so yeah five out of five rhymes mm. you know one more thing to say which has no context so i'll just say it now i was intrigued to see that matthew david montgomery had the chance to work with phil keggy which tyler i don't know if you even know who phil keggy is he's before my time so he's certainly before your time very very famous christian guitar player um back in the the days of like the jesus movement it was him and uh the people in the second chapter of acts and um oh who's the other guy i'm thinking of green keith keith green uh so some very some sort of like famous christian i don't want to say christian hippies i don't want to say that but did you say the um, second chapter of acts yeah is that a yeah it's a it's a band, yeah. It's a uh, band. Okay, I was like, well, no, they couldn't have really been around in the second there, chapter. <laughs> I so I used to probably when I was in college, I picked up some of their music, and the the CD that I had was like a it was a live concert, and it was really f- fun to listen to because it I know they were just so carefree. 
it it was like okay, so you know how uh, uh, last time we looked at um, the Christian Eye of the Tiger, and we were talking about how it's just in a good way, it's kind of over the top, like it, it's returning to an era in which you know people were just a lot more out front with with what they thought and the types of music that they did and the lyrics and all of that. Second chapter of Acts, that music is like the pre late eighties, nineties stuff. So it's, 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 it's that kind of out front, just very, very overt messaging, but it's before it, that had a chance to kind of become its own thing and almost become the corrupted thing that then people responded to and, and moved against by trying to appear quote authentic and, you know, uh, low key and all that kind of thing. So second chapter of that, so just like exuberant in the way that they just kind of, um, and it's almost, I don't know, I don't want to be insulting. It's like kitschy, but I don't mean that in an insulting way. It's like kumbaya-ish. And they're just, and when they talk between songs, they're just like, they're just kind of riffing on how much they love God. And it's just very much from the heart. That's awesome. And it, yeah, it's great. There I was, 23 years old, laying in bed, and I was still afraid to stick my leg out over the side of the bed. I thought, well, Annie, you've got a problem. So I, I, re- I asked the Lord to really, to help me and to take away that fear. And I have discovered that, our Lord Jesus is our strong deliverer, not only from our fears, but just from all the, everything that the enemy throws at us, you know. Fear isn't from God. We have to be willing to give our lives to him and allow his, his life to change us, you know. It's really, it's, it was a great, I really, I listened to that CD all the time for several years. I really enjoyed it. So it's sincere, but not authentic. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, and it's, and it's overt, but not in the way that became like programmed by the time we get to the early 90s, late 80s. Yeah, did you say sincere and not authentic? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds that's about right to me. That's that's a good way to describe it. So anyway, good for him to getting to for getting to play with Phil Keggy. Well, listeners, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope you'll we really do. We sincerely hope that you will sing uh, scripture in your church. And whether that's this psalm or another psalm or another passage of scripture, that's probably the best thing that could come of you listening to this uh, podcast. But other good things that could come, you could share it with your friends. You could share it with your pastors. You could write to us and let us know. You could even, if you felt so moved, <laughs> offer uh, uh, remuneration for this service that we provide. So feel free to uh, do any of those things. And we look forward to being with you again next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.